you're getting that stability, almost like a large cap, but you're getting more growth potential, almost like a small cap. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. When investors are faced with inflation risk, a steepening yield curve, and high equity valuations all at the same time, it's good to know that growth is still not out of reach. In this episode, Chris McKinney and Alfred Lee, along with your host, Mark Rays, weigh in on stocks, bonds, and sectors that can help your clients rest easy over the next few months and into the long term. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMO Global Asset Management Canada, covering ETFs and funds. We're joined today by Chris McKinney and Alfred Lee, both are portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Chris focuses on equity and derivative strategies, while Alfred focuses on fixed income and preferred shares. Start with my first question. Despite all the economic and shutdown turmoil, the markets remain optimistic on the reopening trade. Now, we all know that small and mid-caps benefit during this recovery phase. However, we've been getting a lot of questions on mid-caps in particular with our ZMID ETF. Why would an advisor look at mid-caps as opposed to going directly to small caps? Thanks. Sure. Thanks, Mark. We'll take that one. And we are obviously happy to offer the full sort of cap spectrum in the U.S. through our ETFs such as ZSP for the large cap, the S&P 500, ZMID, as you mentioned, for the mid caps, and ZSML for the small caps. So really covering that full spectrum and allowing investors to pinpoint where they want to be on the market cap spectrum. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the small and mid caps do tend to benefit more um, in this recovery type phase, uh, the, the growth oriented phase that we're in right now, you know, tilted a little bit more to things like consumer discretionary, but in particular, uh, industrial stocks as well. Um, so as that economic activity really ramps up, um, those, those are the sectors that, that really, um, you want to focus on, um, in terms of, you know, why mid versus small or, or even versus the large cap, the, the S and P 500, um, you know, one rule of thumb really is that the, the small caps at one end are very, very domestic focused. So their businesses typically are contained within the United States. The large caps on the other end in the S&P 500 might have a lot more international exposure, certainly largely American companies as well, um, with a lot of focus on the U.S., but also globally focused those multinational type companies. Um, and really ZMID is a little bit in between each of those. And so it's kind of in a nice sweet spot in terms of um, getting exposure to both. Generally, you would think mid caps also are largely US focused in terms of their business, but they also 
tend to be suppliers to the large cap companies. And so as those large caps have a lot of that global exposure, um, if those large caps are benefiting from that global exposure, the mid caps um, almost by uh, default get a little bit of that as well. You know, one example is, for example, Apple uh, recently announced a major expansion of their investment within the U.S. Um, and I think in particular with a, a new campus they'll be building in North Carolina. And so, you know, all the logistics and planning um, engineering that goes into creating that campus, the infrastructure around it, you know, they also mentioned uh, an investment directly within infrastructure in the area. All of that goes to, again, some of those industrial type companies um, that would have contracts with Apple. And so as you have these large caps, um, you know, really strong and growing, again, on a global scale, um, the mid caps benefit from some of their investment within the United States itself. And so as investors do look to play this reopening trade, they want some growth, they want um, exposure to some of these growthier areas that will benefit from economic activity. Um, if you don't want that pure small cap, you know, U.S. only exposure, um, but want somewhere in between that large and um, you know, global exposure and that small cap domestic focus, the mid cap really is, is a great place to be. Um, as well, those companies tend to have a little bit more financial health. Obviously, they are a little bit bigger than the small caps. And should there be any bumps along the road um, with the economic reopening and with that, that, that trade happening, uh, the mid caps are probably a little bit better positioned to to weather the storm, so to speak. And so you're kind of getting a little bit of the best of both worlds between those large caps and small caps when you're investing in that mid cap area. Thanks for that, Chris. So really, I like your point about best of both worlds. You're you're getting that stability, almost like a large cap, but you're getting more growth potential, almost like a small cap. So a nice place to be right right down the middle. So Alfred, I'll turn your way next. Uh, in fixed income, we've seen a rotation this year from cash-like positions, moving in more than anything into full market fixed income ETFs. Uh, we've had a steepening curve, but what are your expectations on further curve steepening this year, considering the front end certainly looks locked down for at least another year? And what ETF would you recommend to put your strategy into action? Thanks. Uh, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, when you look at the yield curve, we, you know, to your point, we have seen a pretty significant steepening, um, especially in the first quarter. So over the first quarter, when you look at the difference between the Canadian 10-year and the two-year, uh, that widened about 76 basis points. And, you know, a very similar story in the U.S. where uh, we saw a widening of about 79 basis points, so, you know, pretty much in the same neighborhood. Um, so far in April, however, we have seen rates level off. Uh, so when we look at bond yields, uh, the 10-year, for example, both in U.S. and Canada, about 1.6% right now. Uh, so the reasons why, you know, rates have leveled off is because, you know, think of it as if you are a fixed income investor, uh, the, you know, the rise in rates uh, so far year to date, you're probably finding some value in bonds right now. So when you look at, you know, foreign demand of Canadian bonds, uh, StabCan actually reported that, you know, the demand for Canadian bonds is near record level. Uh, so when you consider, you know, um, you know, bonds issued by Europe and Japan, for example, which are offering negative yields, uh, you know, Canadian bonds definitely look a lot more attractive. And when you consider, you know, Canada is a high quality issuer, um, you know, there is going to be a lot of foreign demand for Canadian bonds. Uh, liability matching is also another reason as well. So if you look at bonds 
uh, the yields that they're offering, uh, very attractive at this level. And, you know, last but not least, when you look at the equity market, you know, we've been talking about the equity market, you know, trading, you know, pretty fully valued at this point. So when you look at the S&P 500, P ratio of about 32 times earnings. So over the last couple of weeks, we've had, we, we've seen some investors, you know, take some, take some risk off the table, uh, you know, reallocating from equities to fixed income. Uh, so as a result of that, you know, yields have been relatively flat uh, over the last couple of weeks because of that. So over the next couple of weeks, you know, you could probably expect yields are probably going to be pretty range bound as investors, you know, reallocate from equities to, to bonds. Uh, but further down the road, I think, you know, when you're looking at, you know, let's say Q3, Q4, uh, I think, you know, we probably see yields continue to steepen or, you know, long-term rates uh, start moving up again. Uh, reason being is because, you know, as the economy starts to open up again, uh, right now, uh, when you look at the U.S., definitely a lot, you know, further along than than Canada. Uh, but there's still seven states that are not fully open in terms of businesses. So uh, Canada, as we all know, uh, much further behind. But when you look at the vaccinations in Canada, also ramping up as well. So that's good news that, you know, the economy uh, probably opens opens up, you know, hopefully not too far along, uh, not too far down the road. Um, but another reason why, you know, we expect higher yields later this year is because, you know, when you look at earnings so far, uh, so far in this, uh, you know, the earnings season, uh, most, company, most companies are surprising to the upside. So as you see earnings growth, um, you could definitely expect, you know, earnings per share start to grow, which is going to start to justify some of the loftier, you know, equity prices that we are seeing. So I think overall that's going to take, take some time for the market to digest. And as equity start moving up uh, later later on this year, we're going to start bond yields uh, start to see bond yields start to rise again. And you know, on top of that, we also saw Bank of Canada announce that they're going to start tapering uh, their Fed purchases from five billion to four billion dollar a week. Uh, so that's going to cause long end rates to to start rising again. Uh, the Fed, it, it, the expectation is for the Fed to start tapering. Uh, later on this year, the expectation is for the fourth quarter. Uh, so again, that's going to cause long bond uh, yields to start uh, moving up again. So we are start probably going to start to see some steepening in the yield curve uh, start to happen again. I think you know in terms of short-term rates, I do think that they're they're going to move a lot sooner than people think. Uh, the Bank of Canada signaled last week that um, you know they're going to move rates um, sooner rather than later. Uh, so in terms of ETFs, the ones that are best positioned, you know, we still like credit. We think, you know, in terms of the credit market, obviously, I think, you know, you need to be a lot more selective at this point. When you look at certain areas like high yield, you know, that's a good example where, you know, similar to the equity market, you know, the high yield, the high yield market is fully valued at this point. So we've talked about, you know, rate reset preferred shares being the obvious choice in terms of, you know, how to position uh, during the rising rate environment. Uh, but the one that we don't talk about is uh, ZBB. I think uh, the B space in terms of the investment-grade Canadian corporate bond market, that's well-positioned right now. So ZBB, which is our uh, B ETF, invested in bonds uh, one to 10 years only, so it voids the long end of the curve. So as long-term bond rates start going up again, uh, you know, it's going to be well-positioned from a duration aspect. But also because it invests in B only, uh, the B space tends to be less sensitive to rising rates compared to, you know, other investment-grade buckets. Um, so overall, we like B. We think it's well-positioned. Uh, given where we are in the economic cycle, uh, ZBB has a 32% exposure to energy. Uh, so as we all know, 
Uh, there's been a strong demand for commodities. And as the economy starts to open up, uh, you know, that that 32% waiting to energy is going to be well positioned uh, for the triple B space. So we do like uh, ZBBB as a way to play uh, where we are in the economic cycle right now. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. Good to see we're being consistent with that recommendation and certainly getting a lot of interest on ZBBB from advisors. Coming back to the equity side, after a slow start from launch, we're seeing our new innovation ETFs pick up quite a bit lately. Uh, lots of advisor interest really focused around the idea of adding a dedicated growth sleeve in portfolios. Can you comment on which new innovation ETF you're seeing the most interest and where you see opportunity? Thanks. Sure. And, and maybe just as a reminder, you know, earlier this year, we did launch the, the full suite of innovation ETFs with four different themes, um, you know, next generation internet, autonomous technology, uh, fintech, and then genomic innovation were those four themes. And then we launched the fifth fund that provides exposure to, to all, all four of those areas. And, you know, I would say out of, uh, since the launch, the, the top fund, that one that encompasses all four of those innovations, uh, themes, ZINN is the ticker, it has been the most popular with, I think, as you mentioned, advisors getting the idea of having that dedicated growth sleeve in portfolios, allocating to each of these four um, areas uh, of innovation and thematic growth um, and, and just getting a, an overall exposure, uh, I think, has been the most popular so far. But within each of those sub-themes, I think the two that have um, piqued the most investor interest are the, the FinTech innovation, ZFIN, and the genomic innovation, ZGEN, have been the two that, that investors have, have flocked to as standalone thematics here so far. And I think it makes sense simply because those are the two that are really sort of headline in the news right now. Those themes have been playing out quite a bit. Um, right, right in front of us, particularly on the genomic side, of course, with vaccine rollouts and healthcare in general just being of such a significant focus in everyone's day-to-day lives. Um, I think investors are understanding the opportunity that lies ahead um, in the genomic innovation space. You know, companies like Moderna, who have created one of the, the vaccines that's in circulation right now for COVID-19, um, the, the vast number of applications that they're actually working on um, outside of COVID, obviously, but with vaccines in different areas, I think uh, investors are starting to understand the importance of that and the growth that can come with that over the long term. And then secondly, as I mentioned, the, the fintech area, ZFIN, um, has been uh, of interest to a lot of investors as well. And I think a lot of that has to do with the news of cryptocurrencies that are that are in uh, the news right now, whether it's Bitcoin, Ether, or, or any of the other um, you know, cryptocurrencies that are out there. Um, I think investors have heard a lot about these things and understand that there is a future there, but don't, as, as advisors or investors, don't really understand how to allocate cryptocurrency specifically into their portfolio. Uh, you know, how much Ether is appropriate for, for an investor's portfolio? It's a very difficult question to answer. Um, but I think what investors do understand is perhaps uh, what might make more sense is investing in those companies that will be involved in that space that are more about facilitating the growth of this area um, and, and pushing that growth forward. Companies like PayPal, 
um, you know, Square, even MasterCard are really getting involved in the crypto space now. And these are well-established companies that investors understand and know, um, but that are also pushing the boundaries in, in these new growth areas um, that investors might not be able to get their head wrapped around on a standalone basis, but certainly understand the companies that are involved and those that are able to push that innovation forward. And so I think there's a big opportunity there, particularly in the, in the fintech space here, as we're talking about, um, for investors to get, get that growth-oriented sleeve in their portfolio, as you mentioned, um, and get it into one or two of these specific sectors that, that have the long-term potential to, to, to pay off significantly. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And good to see uh, different drivers and different points of interest for advisors. Good that we've got the uh, five choices now in these innovation ETFs. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 58 in this same podcast series, where we take a deeper look at BMO's suite of innovation ETFs, which build on megatrends like clean energy, fintech, genomics, autonomous technology, and next-generation internet. Fascinating themes with long-term exponential growth potential. I'll come back now to a sector play where we've seen U.S. healthcare take off again recently. If we're working under the assumption that the, the vaccine and research bump has already factored into valuations, what is driving the sector higher now, and is it sustainable? Thanks. Yeah, you know, when, when we look at the healthcare sector, it, it definitely has performed very well uh, month to day. So when we look at uh, ZUH, which is our equal weight uh, healthcare ETF, it's up about you know 7.6% uh, already in April. And when you compare that to the S&P 500, uh, the S&P 500 is about, you know, up about 2.1%. So it's pretty significant outperformance uh, month to date. Uh, but I think to your point, I think, you know, the vaccine story has already been priced in. When you look at uh, certain names like Johnson & Johnson, that's actually down 1.5% so far in April. Um, but admittedly, you know, they've had their own kind of stumbling blocks uh, coming out of the gates in terms of you know, the vaccine distribution. Uh, but overall, when, when you look at the overall vaccine makers, um, they've definitely underperformed the broader uh, healthcare sector. So I think, you know, to your point, the vaccine maker story in terms of the COVID-19 story, it's fully priced in right now. Uh, but in terms of, you know, why um, the healthcare sector has outperformed, I think it's twofold. I think, you know, when you look at the broader market, you know, to my point earlier, I think, you know, the equity market at this point is fully valued at this point. So investors are looking for, you know, areas that are, you know, out of favor. Um, healthcare stocks, you know, over the first quarter, they did underperform the broader market. So, you know, we've seen this uh, value rotation. Um, healthcare stocks, I don't think, are part of that value rotation, but they have been out of favor. So it's been kind of more of a, you know, a mean reversion trade where investors are kind of looking for areas that are, you know, have underperformed year to date. Uh, but I think the bigger story in terms of what's driving the healthcare sector has been, uh, you know, Biden proposed that, you know, $2 trillion infrastructure package, uh, $400 billion of that. Uh, is announced that it's going to be dedicated to healthcare. So over the uh, over the next eight years, uh, we're going to see uh, you know part of that package be allocated to providing access to you know home and community based healthcare for senior citizens and the the, the uh, disabled. Uh, another allocation is going to be uh, allocated to you know aiding frontline workers, 
uh, caregiving workforce. So that's also going to be good for the healthcare sector uh, as well. So when you look at you know the subsectors within ZUH that have outperformed, uh, it's mainly been you know the equipment makers, the service providers, uh, the facilities, which are all up in the neighborhood of about you know seven percent to nine and a half percent in April. Uh, so those have been kind of the, mo- the the main benefactors in terms of you know the Biden uh, infrastructure spend. Uh, so in terms of your question, in terms of you know whether it is sustainable, um, I, I think the vaccine story is fully priced in at this point. Uh, but the Biden story in terms of the infrastructure spend, that's a short-term bump. Uh, it's also going to be a tailwind over you know potentially over the next you know six seven months. Uh, but over the long term, I think you know it, it potentially is sustainable because you know prior to COVID. Uh, we thought there was a lot of, you know, long-term reasons and in, in why investors should be bullish about healthcare. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, it's, it's a long-term secular theme. So when you look at, um, you know, it's estimated that 20% of U.S. GDP is going to be spent on healthcare over the next decade. So that's going to be, you know, a major tailwind for the sector. Um, also, you know, the main thesis and why people like healthcare is because, you know, we have an aging population where. You know, when you look at the developed countries, for so Canada, for example, uh, 18% of the population is 65 and older. Uh, very similar story in the U.S., U.K., and Japan, where it's you know in the neighborhood about 20 to 25% of their population is 65 and older. Um, so there's going to be a demand for for not only healthcare but you know healthcare products and services as well. And you know on the other side of that equation, uh, so the investment side of the equation, I think as we have an aging demographic. You know, a lot of people are going to be looking to de-risk their portfolio. So when you look at the healthcare sector, uh, it tends to be more defensive in nature. So the uh, the 10-year beta ZUH, for example, is about 85 uh, versus the broader market, so the S&P 500. So, you know, as investors start to de-risk their portfolio, I think, you know, healthcare is a sector that uh, is going to be well-positioned as investors de-risk their portfolios. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. Good to hear there's other continued drivers when uh, a lot of us have just been focused on the research and development and obviously now the commercialization of the vaccines. So at this point, I would like to check if there are questions for Chris and Alfred. Hi, good morning. My question this morning is on clean energy and renewable energy. Uh, We saw Earth Day last week, along with a number of countries making carbon emission announcements with, albeit some ambitious targets and dates. I'm hoping that you can share your thoughts and uh, perhaps outlook on clean energy investment as a whole, as well, your outlook on your ETF, I believe, ZCLN with the recent index changes as well. Thank you. Certainly, and, and this is really, you know, one of those tailwinds, and it's a significant tailwind uh, that we've been telling investors about behind the clean energy story and behind ZCLN specifically as, as a way to invest in that story. Um, I'm not sure there's ever been a time globally uh, when you have so many countries announcing, you know, similar targets um, in a similar way. You know, the UK. Um, announcing significant um, targets for their uh, emissions cutting. Uh, the EU similarly as well, but but probably most importantly, the U.S. with Joe Biden, as you mentioned, um, you know, pledging to cut the carbon pollution by over 50 percent um, by 2030, which is not, not quite 10 years away from now. Um, and so, you know, outside of just 
countries and, and leadership, you have uh, hundreds and hundreds of companies um, getting behind this as well, whether they're announcing their own emissions cuts or whether they're just simply announcing support for these governments to do so. Um, you have huge alignment over the next 10 to 15 to 20 years on, on decarbonization of, of energy output. And so renewable energy sources and clean energy sources, such as those found within ZClean, ZCLN, um, are going to be the beneficiaries of that. And so I think, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense to utilize an ETF to gain access to exposure to the entire sector. Um, you know, what's not known is which of these companies are going to be the winners uh, in the long term, right? And there's certainly probably going to be more than one or two as well. Um, and so by taking that sector approach, by investing in an ETF that gives you broader access to that entire sector, um, you'll be able to enjoy the tailwinds that are behind this theme over the next 10 plus years. Um, and so I think it's just a great way to, uh, to invest over the long, long term. Obviously, these are long term targets. As you mentioned, they are very aggressive as well. It's quite possible they're not met, um, but they're extended and, and pushed out. And so, um, you know, whether you see all of that happen within the next 10 years is, is certainly debatable, but it's obviously a long term play that's going to be here for a long time. Um, and so we think it's a, it's, a, it's a great way to invest. And with the recent index change in ZClean, you're getting a little bit broader exposure. You have more companies in that ETF um, with a little bit broader exposure to that clean energy theme. Yeah, good morning, guys. Thanks a lot for taking my question. Last week, President Biden discussed that he'll be employing a pretty large cap gains increase in his next economic package. I just wanted to get your thoughts on whether investors should tilt more towards an income focus or more of a growth focus going forward. Thanks. Yeah, that's uh, certainly been a uh, you know, question that we've been getting uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, I think when Biden announced that, uh, when it came out last Thursday, uh, the market essentially had a knee-jerk reaction. Um, I think intraday it fell about 1.3% uh, between, you know, when it was announced, um, you know, on the trading day of Thursday and, and, you know, between that point and the close. Um, but when you look at, you know, how the market reacted overnight and then when it had time to digest the news, uh, the market essentially bounced back in the, the next day. So I think, you know, when you look at, you know, the details of, of the proposal, um, so it's basically, you know, they're going to increase the federal cap gain tax from 20% to uh, 39.6%. So essentially double. Um, so definitely, you know, very headline uh, worthy. Uh, so it, it definitely got the market to react, you know, as I mentioned uh, right away, but when you look into to the details, it's it's really a non-factor to most people, right? So, you know, most of the people, I think it's about 75% of the people in the population, they own stocks through non-taxable accounts, so things like you know 401k plans. Uh, but the remaining 25% that is held in taxable accounts, it only applies to people that you know are making one million dollars or more. Um, so I think that's a relatively small part of the population. Um, I, I read a report where it's only about, you know, 540,000 people uh, in the U.S. that have filed, you know, tax returns uh, that make a million dollars or more. So it only affects a small part of the population. So overall, uh, whether it affects, you know, income and, and, and growth, um, you know, overall, I think it's a non-factor. I think it was a more of a knee-jerk reaction. But, you know, for the broader population, it is pretty much a, a non-factor go forward. Hi guys, uh, thanks for all the information. I really appreciate it. Uh, my question is on ZQQ, your ETF that replicates the Nasdaq 
Uh, it seems it looks like it's uh, recovered the losses from uh, February and March. What are your thoughts on it going forward? Also, if you could provide some insights on the hedge version versus the unhedged versions, so that'd be helpful. Thank you. Sure, and as you mentioned, you know, it looks like the Nasdaq has perhaps resumed its its growth trajectory here. Um, I think a lot of what happened in, in February and March with that little bit of a sell-off has to do with what we were talking about earlier with, with interest rates increasing, long-term interest rates increasing, that yield curve steepening. Um, look, there's a lot of good news and a lot of growth priced into the companies um, in, in the NASDAQ. And so when you get significant rate increases like that, um, those those growthy type companies, those fully valued companies are going to be the ones that, that experience a little bit of volatility. And so I think, you know, going forward, certainly uh, the NASDAQ is going to provide that, that growth element in an investor's portfolio. Um, but what you just have to recognize is that valuations are still fairly high and, and do reflect a, a, a lot of good news. So there could be a little bit of volatility along the way. You know, for example, um, Alphabet came out with very, very strong earnings um, and their stock is up 5%. Um, Microsoft came out with very, very strong earnings and their stock is down 2%. And so, you know, even as companies announce great earnings, um, you're not going to necessarily get the huge bumps uh, because a lot of those great earnings are already priced in. And so, um, you know, we really need these companies to perform very, very well over the next, you know, several quarters in order to continue to get that growth out of the NASDAQ. So, you know, that potential is there. Again, these companies are reporting great earnings, um, but just recognize that a lot of that is priced in and that you'll, you'll need that to continue just, just to get that growth element. Um, in terms of going forward, hedged or unhedged, we, we offer both our hedged to CAD NASDAQ fund is ZQQ is the ticker, and to go unhedged, you would buy ZNQ. Um, and so, you know, typically we, we do have um, an idea here, but this is maybe one of the areas where, where I might say it doesn't matter necessarily, or it matters a little bit less, um, simply because, again, the ZQQ or ZNQ, this tends to be a bit more of a longer-term type of investment. We're investing for growth here, and so it tends to have a little bit of a longer time horizon. Um, certainly over the shorter term, uh, the case can be made for a weaker U.S. dollar with the amount of you know, stimulus that's, that's coming into the market, both monetary and fiscal, um, as well as a little bit of Canadian dollar strength because um, you know, as, as the economy reopens, commodities will tend to do well. Canadian dollar should tend to benefit from that as well. And as Alfred mentioned earlier as well, Canada uh, central bank a little bit ahead of the others, at least right now in terms of tapering and then potentially raising interest rates um, down the road as well. So maybe a little bit of a boost to the Canadian dollar there. So that would argue to go hedged, um, you know, certainly over the recent year or two, um, you, you would have done well to be hedged to CAD, but, um, you know, any risk off type of event is going to uh, be bullish U.S. dollars. So any risk off type of market sell off you will get a little bit of bump if you are unhedged. So there's a little bit of a trade-off there in terms of what exposure you want. Um, I would also say that because the NASDAQ, were, we, we would expect larger returns out of it. Um, any currency movement would, would not eat into that as much if it, if it goes against you. And so it's a little bit less important here in the NASDAQ area. Um, but if it was me, I would say over the near term, certainly go hedged over the long term, it, it, it might not matter.
Great. Well, thank you for those questions. And certainly seeing CAD through through 80 cents is an indication that it's been on quite a tear over the last year or so. Uh, with that, would like to thank everyone for joining us today. Thanks for listening in. And of course, thanks for those questions. As well, thank you to both Alfred and Chris uh, for your answers, for your comments, for your positioning. Uh, lots of great material that we can bring back to our own conversations for the remainder of the week. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Chris McKinney, Alfred Lee, and Mark Race for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, our experts highlighted a mid-cap solution for stability and growth, the BMO S&P U.S. Mid-Cap Index ETF, ticker ZMID or ZMID. To capture long-term gains, they recommend the BMO MSCI Innovation Index ETF, ticker ZINN or ZIN, and the Equal Weight Healthcare Strategy, ticker ZUH. On the fixed income side, ZBBB continues to be a favorite, along with the BMO S&P TSX Laddered Preferred Share ETF, ticker ZPR or ZIPR. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.